The opening words of Psalm 74, they read as follows. O God, why have you rejected us so long? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your own pasture? Remember that we are the people you chose long ago. The tribe you redeemed as your own special possession. And remember Jerusalem, your home here on earth. Walk through the awful ruins of the city. See how the enemy has destroyed your sanctuary. What is your felt response to those words? Do you resonate with the cries of the Jewish people? Do you recoil? Does it make you uncomfortable? These are the cries of the Jewish people that we read in Psalm 74. It's a psalm of lament, and the people are grieving the destruction of their temple, the ruin of their city, and the exile of their people. We cannot overstate the devastation that exile, exile was to the Jewish people. The people had a promise long ago, starting with Abraham, that they would have many descendants, that God would use these people to bless the nations surrounding them. Then continuing with Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, this promise continued and this covenant was what they held on to. To the people being enslaved in Egypt, awaiting this promise's fulfillment. To then Moses' deliverance, the wilderness wandering, and then Joshua leading them into the promised land, finally the fulfillment of this promise. This land meant so much to the Jewish people and the temple where God would dwell among them. There's a picture on the screen that shows the significance of how central Israel was to the surrounding nations. It acted as a place of passage where it was a perfect opportunity for the people to be different, to be set apart and to be a blessing to those who surrounded them. How they followed Yahweh could be a symbol to the rest of the nations. But things didn't go to plan, and the people disobeyed. They didn't fulfill God's, what they had hoped to fulfill for God's promises. And so they lost everything. They lost their identity. They lost their sense of purpose. Exile felt like the loss of everything, and that's what we hear in this psalm, the crying out of God's people. You might be wondering, what does Israel's story mean for us? Why does it matter? Why is this important? In Romans 11, Paul says this. He says, but some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles, those who are not Jews, who were branches from a wild olive tree, have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. So we are grafted in. As believers of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we become a part of Israel's story, and that's significant for us. So with that in mind, and understanding some of the context of what Psalm 74 speaks to, Let's read together. So if you're either reading in your Bibles or your apps, or it'll also be on the screen. Verses 1 to 11 read, O God, why have you rejected us so long? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your own pasture? Remember that we are the people you chose long ago, the tribe you redeemed as your own special possession. And remember Jerusalem, your home here on earth. Walk through the awful ruins of the city. See how the enemy has destroyed your sanctuary. 
There your enemies shouted their victorious battle cries. They set up their battle standards. They swung their axes like woodcutters in a forest with axes and picks. They smashed the carved paneling. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the place that bears your name. And then they thought, let's destroy everything. So they burned down all the places where God was worshipped. We no longer see your miraculous signs. All the prophets are gone. And no one can tell us when it will end. How long, O God, will you allow your enemies to insult you? Will you let them dishonor your name forever? Why do you hold back your strong right hand? Unleash your powerful fist and destroy them. These words of grief and lament, they act as a sense of relief. You can just feel the exhale as, you, as this pent-up energy is released. Israel is grieving God's rejection of his people, the destruction of Jerusalem, the victory of the enemy. There's no miraculous signs. The prophets are gone, and they wonder how long this will happen. So you might be wondering, why is lament important? Why should we lament? Why do we want to observe this lament? Approximately a third of our psalms are psalms of lament. That's 30%. God's people are crying out in desperation. It's their most honest and raw state, and God hears them. One author, Soon Chun Ra, says this of lament. He says, at its heart, lament is truth-telling. It tries to explain the world as it is, not what we want it to be or what we think it should be, but it's a snapshot of the world as it is. It's truth-telling. Laments can be both individual or it can be corporate or communal, like this psalm here is. And to, to lament is to give space for relief. It's to be, give space to grieving. For some, it's like drinking water out of their thirst. And so we need to create spaces, not only permission for our, our own grieving, but for solidarity with those who are grieving around us. For some, this is uncomfortable. This might not be what you're used to. It's not the language that you speak. And while we may often default to God's goodness and promises and hope and proclamation, what we have to remember is that God's light is most evident in darkness, and it stands brightest in contrast to the dark. And so as we lament, God's goodness and his promises mean that much more to us. If lament is truth-telling, then we must also tell the truth of God's power in the midst of darkness. One way that this is reflect, one way it's reflected is in the book of Lamentations, which is an entire book on lament, and it speaks to God's goodness in the midst of suffering. It reads as follows. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And we can praise God in the midst of our lament. Our lament needs to be met with the truth of who God is, and we need to remember that God is still in control and he's worthy of our praise. And this next section in Psalm 74, verses 12 to 17, are just that. They're a reminder of who God is and what he's accomplished. They read, You, O God, are my king from ages past. 
Bringing salvation to the earth, you split the sea by your strength and smashed the heads of the sea monsters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan and let the desert animals eat him. You caused the springs and streams to gush forth and you dried up rivers that never run dry. Both day and night belong to you. You made the starlight and the sun. You set the boundaries of the earth and you made both summer and winter. And these are declarations of God's goodness. They're reminders and affirmations of God's power and might in the midst of devastation and destruction, as the people of Israel have observed. The final section, verses 18 to 22, read, See how these enemies insult you, Lord. A foolish nation has dishonored your name. Don't let these wild beasts destroy your turtle doves. Don't forget your suffering people forever. Remember your covenant promises, for the land is full of darkness and violence. Don't let the downtrodden be humiliated again. Instead, let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how, how these fools insult you all day long. Don't overlook what your enemies have said or their growing uproar. This final section invites us to repent and to be reoriented. We're inviting God into our circumstances. It says in verse 22, Arise, O God, and defend your cause. Not our cause, not what we hope for God to do, but it's an invitation to God to come into our circumstances and meet us where we're at and to defend his cause. And that, that causes us to surrender. It's a repentance of what we've been wishing for and what we've been doing and a reorientation to what God is asking of us and to what God is presenting to us. This is reflected well in 2 Corinthians where Paul has already written one letter to the city of Corinth and this is a second letter, part of his second letter which follows up and he says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So our godly repentance brings, or our godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. It's a way to reorient ourselves and to invite God into our circumstances. So as New Covenant people and, and followers of Jesus, we might ask, how does Jesus show us lament? How does Jesus model lament for us? When we lament, we align ourselves with Christ, Christ crucified. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus grieves in the garden before his death and grieves on the cross, asking, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? He lets out his cry, of relief. He lets God into what he's experiencing and feeling. He doesn't shy away from that. When we align with Jesus through lament, we are grieving alongside Jesus, his death, grieving the state of his people. His very death is what makes his resurrection possible, which is what we hinge our faith on. God's reign and power is so often proclaimed and present in the very circumstances that seem to deny it. The Israelite people are looking upon their exile, looking upon the destruction of their city, and they're thinking, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned us? 
We look to Jesus on the cross and his followers and his disciples are saying, God, where are you? Why have you abandoned us? Are you here? But God is there. What circumstances might you be facing that you feel like you're crying out and wondering, God, where are you? Why are you absent? And that brings us to our story. This is a corporate lament, one that invites the communal response as we gather this morning, as as you gather in your homes. What relief do we need? What reminder of God's goodness do we need? What reorientation and repentance is God calling us to? It's very rare that we have such a unanimous and unifying access to grief like we've had through COVID, either individually, through acute pain, or even just the prolonged, sustained, change and pain that COVID has brought. There may be personal traumas and grieving in your own lives, deaths, sicknesses, loss of life, loss of opportunity, loss of normalcy and routine. And then there's the vicarious trauma of others, that this compassion fatigue that we may be experiencing as we look upon the world, the destruction that's happening all around us, all around the world, and we cry out. We cannot escape it. It's on our news feeds. It's on our social media. We grieve alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. We grieve for the state of our world. Another opportunity that we have to lament together is through this time right now, this season our church is in. If you're new or you're visiting or you're unfamiliar, we're in a season of transition. And our lead pastor resigned in fall, and Reg has joined us starting in January, and we've been transitioning We've been taking the time through some journey wall activities and exercises, reflecting back on where we've been, reflecting on where we are, and assessing where we need to go. We've taken some time to reflect. And that brings us to lament. What is the truth telling that we are facing? What is the truth of our circumstances? There's a digest of the compilation of reflections that came out of our journey wall that you can access online, and I I picked out a few of the things that, that all of you who have attended those journey wall activities have commented on. Here are a few of our truth telling. That we're not digging deep to the root of the hurt, the lack of vulnerability and brutal honesty, a lack of respect between generations, a pattern of sadness after losses and big change and big changes. Transition is hard. We are stuck. There's poor communication in conflict. We're not always a welcoming community. We may not know how to have fruitful conflict. We need to not just hear each other, but consider the other's point of view. There's vision confusion, and we lack clarity on what the issues actually are. What is your felt response to those words? Relief? Recoil? Discomfort? Clearly, we don't have all the answers, and we're struggling. What does that lead us to? Does it lead us to our plans and our visions and our certainty, or does it lead us to corporately grieve, to lament, and to invite God in to where he's leading us, to be reminded of who God is and the power that he has? Are we crying out, Oh God, why have you rejected us? Why is your anger so intense against the sheep of your own pasture? Oh God, where are you? I don't have all the answers, and I don't feel like I should. That's why we're called to be a community, a community that laments and invites the Holy Spirit into our circumstances, a community that laments. And to lament is not to despair. It's not a hopelessness. It's not just sitting in our devastation, but to lament is to hope in the promises that God has for us. It's to invite God in. 
It's that invitation to our circumstances and allowing God our most honest and raw state. So as we close this morning, some practical applications. What do you do with this? Where do we go? How do we respond? For some, this will be an unfamiliar practice, and this language might feel uncomfortable. I've heard it likened to the idea of working out, or if you exercise for the first time in a long time, and that next day, when you're feeling the stiffness and the soreness and the aches and the pains, but because we're uncomfortable, that doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong. It just means we need to stretch and develop those muscles. We need to continue on that path in order to develop that strength. And so the same thing is with lament. If it's uncomfortable, we're not doing something wrong. It just means that we need to familiarize ourselves with that language and with that practice. And so a couple of invitations for you. One, I would just invite you to create spaces in your life and in the lives of those around you for lament. Allow the people in your life to cry out. And let's practice listening not feeling like we have to have the answers, not feeling like we have to cover it up or offer our support or, you know, offer those quick cures. Let's be silent with each other and give space and permission to grieve. And then for yourself, allow yourself permission to grieve, to cry out. Ask God, what is the truth of my circumstances? What do I need to name? What do I need to acknowledge? And know that God loves you and hears your cries. And lastly, I invite you to pray for our church as we are in transition, to pray for our circumstances, to grieve, to surrender the things that should be and acknowledge what is, and ask God, what are you inviting us to repent and reorient? What are you inviting us into, Lord? I invite you to enjoy me in prayer. God, we acknowledge your presence among us this morning. Thank you for this reminder from your people, from the psalmist, to grieve and to give permission and give space for that. Lord, would we just experience that exhale as we name the hurts and the pains in our lives and in the lives of those around us. God, would it cause us to remember your truth and your goodness and that your incredible power and the hope that we can have in you, Jesus, would ring true in the midst of our darkest days. God, we pray for this act of repentance. What do we need to repent of? What do we need to be reoriented towards? What are you leading us into, Lord? God, we thank you for your love for us and how you hear our cries. And that doesn't change how you view us, how you want us in our most honest and raw state. We thank you for your love for us, Lord. Amen.